Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 216. This week we talk with Alessandra Vazza about the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, DTrace on Windows. We review some salary data we've been collecting. And how much are ads costing you? Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This week, we have Alessandro Vazza. He works in commercial software engineering at Microsoft. He's a community organizer and participant, and he's an ambassador for the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. How's it going, Alessandro? It's going great. Thanks. And Carl, stickers. What's going on with those? Yep. So I've got the first batch of sticker requests Mm -hmm. kind of uh, all stuffed, printed up, ready to go. All I'm waiting on is uh, international stamps. So we've figured out how to do international mailing, hopefully, as long as my (laughs) local post office told me everything correctly. And I'm just waiting on my order of stamps to come in for those, and then I'll send out the first batch. Okay. So if you have not gotten in on that, email feedback at msdevshow.com, an email with stickers in the subject line and your uh, name and address in the body. Okay, that's very Makes cool. it easy for me to copy paste and hit print on my label maker. Yep. I was going to say you got a fancy super fast label maker. Yeah, and you got a fancy receipt to expense. <laughs> so, how's that thing so that thing it's it's like network enabled and Yeah, yeah, I, I uh uh it, you initially need a USB cable to kind of plug it in and kind of tell it what all the Wi-Fi things are. Uh, but I wanted to make this, sure this I could do this from anywhere, so I enabled Wi-Fi Direct as well as infrastructure. Uh, Wi-Fi, and then I can. All I need to do is just plug this in anywhere. Uh, it also has a, a battery pack too, if I wanted to, and I it just auto connects to the Wi-Fi now. And uh, from anywhere in the house, I can just even from my phone, I can print a label. <laughs> wow, that sounds really expensive. Um, okay, so what do we have for the comment of the week? Uh, the comment of the week actually came in from one of those emails asking for stickers. So feel free to add notes to that too. Um, it came from uh, Sharir Yazdapur. Uh, hopefully I got your name correctly. He's from Iran. He said, great show. I want you to know that you have listeners even from Ra- from Iran on day one. So apparently... Uh, well, that's cool. From our very first episodes, we've had a worldwide global audience. So that's awesome. that is awesome to know. Yeah. And if you, want, cool. if you want to get mentioned on the show, uh, like Sharir, uh, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com, ask for stickers, comment on our website or Twitter. And we especially love those five-star iTunes reviews. Excellent. Okay. So let's jump into the news. We just have a couple stories here. The first one here is D-Trace on Windows. What is D-Trace? So D-Trace isn't something I'm familiar with because this is a uh, Unix tool that allows you to do dynamic tracing of uh, your system. Mm. Um, you can put all sorts of, it uses a C-like syntax to, uh, you know, put all the sorts of kind of breakpoints uh, to analyze what's going on. Um, and it's now works in Windows. So uh, apparently a few years ago, there was a, a an open D-Trace project uh, that was out on GitHub and how the windows team actually brought this, uh, to windows is they have their own branch in that open D trace GitHub. 
So if you go to the uh, Dtrace GitHub account, you'll see in the other branches that there is a Dtrace Windows branch. Mm -hmm. And there you can see everything coded out in the open. Okay. Well, that's super cool. Um, Anything else you want to mention on it? No, if this is the kind of thing that would add value to you, uh, your organization, definitely check it out. That Harry Pulapaka, didn't we, do we have him on? We must have talked to him at some point. We talked to him at Build along with another lady who eventually became an SVP. I was going to say, I'm like, that name looks really familiar. So that's awesome. Uh, Okay. Uh, Ads cost you 10% of your users. That makes sense. Yeah, uh, it was kind of amazing. So I, I don't really know much about this person, but their Twitter account says that they're a writer and an independent researcher. And uh, they had done a little bit of A-B testing with their AdSense. And according to their statistics, uh, when they enabled banner ads on uh, their their websites, that uh, they lost about 14% of their user engagement. And then as they've gone on in a Twitter thread, so I have a link to a Twitter thread. Um, they have additional, uh, after they've kind of put this out there, they found out that Pandora had a very similar experience as well as Mozilla Research. Uh, kind of since they have access to, you know, the logs of how people actually uh, use websites, they looked at it from ad blocking. Mm-hmm. So people who have ad blocking on engage about 10% more, <laughs> which is kind of like, you know, the Makes exact sense. same thing, but flipped. And then there's also some LinkedIn statistics that are available as as uh, images that we'll post in the website as well that all confirm, you know, granted, these are only four things, but I mean, the one researcher, you know, that's, you know, one small statistic, but Pandora, Mozilla, and LinkedIn are very large, uh, you know, very diverse organizations, and they're all coming about with similar statistics. So, um, you know, if you have large banner ads, um, you might want to rethink if you're more uh, concerned with user engagement over the money you get from your advertising. Absolutely. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that Pandora, I mean, it's a totally different type of ad, right? I mean, because are they talking in their audio? Uh, So that one, I I put the link. I did not have a chance to fully read this because I just saw this come by. Okay. I'm wondering if that's in their audio because that is like totally totally different. I wonder if it's actually on their, their website. Cause that would make a huge difference, right? Oh yeah. They, they talk about the number of ads okay. and how that affects people uh, to sign up. And the more ads is actually less people will sign up for the paid. Yeah. Oh, and it says uh, sensitivity to audio advertisement. So yeah, I, I, I would think an audio would be far more annoying. Um, just another data point on this. I mean, I, my family watches a lot of YouTube. Like I think it is a crazy valuable resource. Like if you're not learning on YouTube, I think you're missing out on a huge opportunity. And uh, the ads were, were getting really annoying. And I saw like a three month free trial for their YouTube premium, which gets rid of the ads. Totally, totally, totally worth it. I think it's like 12 bucks a month. Don't buy it through iTunes. You just go to their site and buy it, but uh, it gets rid of all those annoying ads. So you don't have to sit there and wait. Um, Man, I mean, it's it's like a it's like a totally different experience because now, you know, like that video content, you're in control of it versus you know just seeing ad after ad. I, I just can't tell you the the amount of difference there, but uh, yeah, I watch I watch a whole bunch of different uh, channels regularly. There's some stuff that my wife watches, but like we do research on like travel on, uh, you know, how to fix things, you know, you and I, whenever we swapped out the diesel tank on my truck, we, uh, we watched, you know, a couple of YouTube videos on that. Um, I'm using it to, uh, to learn some Spanish. Like it's, it's pretty, uh, 
Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a great resource, but, uh, you know, I think it's having the ads on there and now they're putting them in the middle. I mean, I was about ready to just stop using YouTube completely because of those ads that they just, you know, the screen just goes blank and then all of a sudden an ad pops in right, right. As you think that like something is wrong an ad pops in and it was, it was really getting to me. So it may make sense to me. Uh, any other comments on that? Okay. My salary progression in tech. What's this one about Carl? Yeah. So we've talked quite a few times, especially on our soft skills and career episodes about how important it is to kind of know what other developers make in order to, you know, kind of compare yourself, you know, where am I compared to a baseline? Am I, you know, uh, compensated fairly? Am I behind, uh, so on and so forth. So I always find it, uh, interesting when you see people publish things, especially very detailed statistics. And granted, this is just one person sharing their exact salary uh, over the course of uh, their career. Um, you know, there's a few things I think that are interesting about this. First of all, he does uh, put on there, you know, like, hey, I'm a, I'm a white male. You know, I've kind of had it easy over the years. Um, so, you know, everybody is in a different scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh People will see different things. But what I thought was really interesting, he went from in 2007 from a base salary at an intro level position uh, to uh, today where he's an architect. He's, he's almost quadrupled his salary over that time frame. And over that time frame, he's also switched careers or not careers, but switched companies quite a bit. So it's one of those things that here's another data point that shows that, you know, people who do make those uh, company jumps are, you know, getting really good uh, compensation uh, bonuses. Yeah, there's there was one time in 2010 to 2011 where he actually took a drop. But then, um, yeah, there was the, the next job change was a $23,000 increase. And then it looks like he took another hit to go do something that he was passionate about. But then he went to a different company and got a massive raise. And, uh, and then it went up from there. Um, and yeah, that, that, that certainly happens and it's, it's a little unfortunate. And that, that's one thing that I've, I've actually mentored quite a few people on, um, especially people that are kind of new to the workforce and, and, a and a lot of diverse people. I, I talk to them and, and, you know, these companies are, are always, they're always negotiating. So I always teach people to, to also be negotiating and, um, usually whenever you're early in career, you're just terrible at it. And people, people just don't, they don't realize their, their value early on. So, I mean, I think that's one way that you can, that you can help people is help people understand their value and help them create more value. And yep. then, like you mentioned before, that helps, um, get rid of, you know, any kind of uh, wage gap that may exist, um, um, out there. Yeah. There, there's always a few people that I compare, uh, you know, what I'm making with that are very similar in my career. So, you know, I do have those, uh, direct, you know, touch points and data points, uh, to make sure that, you know, I, I'm just, you know, you know, at, at the, the market rate and that I, you know, I'm not falling behind. But in addition, <clears throat> if you go to the show notes, I've created a, a form and a, a way to view the results of the form for anybody to anonymously enter their salary wages and kind of also then click on the other links, see the results. So right now I've had this posted out there for a little bit, uh, for a little while quietly. And I've got about 50 people that have uh, entered their data so far. Um, and with just enough information to filter by like, Hey, uh, maybe Europe has a different 
wage dynamic than the U.S. So you, you could filter by that if you're interested. But there's enough in there right now to see some very interesting trends. And on the second page of that uh, Google sheet, I do have a little graph that helps visualize the data for you. Mm-hmm. So go in the show notes if you feel like sharing your, your wages. Anonymize it round. You know, you don't give your exact details if you don't want to. Round to a near number. Um, and By the way, by the way, sorry to interrupt, but I am one of those people that jump uh, jump companies. Uh, I yeah. think I yeah. I did change six jobs in five years at some point in my career, and <laughs> oh, it was wow. the best decision ever. It was it was actually um, first of all interesting because it was very varied, and I just grab grab the chance to to see more environments and more cultures and uh, grow personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, the only drawback is really to explain why you did that <laughs> in, the, um, in the next job interview. Uh, but after all, I think it was, um, it was smart on me and uh, I, I don't regret it. Uh, I got to know a lot of people in the industry, in, in, my, in my region, of course, I'm talking about the Netherlands. Um, and it did had a very positive effect on my compensation. So yeah. on my negotiation, negotiation skills as well, my interviewing skills, uh, you know, you have to do an interview every year, you get to, you get better at that, right? So, mm-hmm. so I don't regret it, but now um, I'm happy in my job and I don't think I'm going to jump uh, anytime soon. Yeah. Well, if, yeah. if anybody ever asks, I mean, just say what you just said, like, Hey, you know, if they say, why did you do this? I mean, I would sort of dodge the question. I would say, Hey, it was the best thing I ever did. And here's why, um, you know, just showing that it, regardless of like why those decisions were made, it was, it worked out really well for you being able to see a whole bunch of different teams and, and, and things like that. That's how I would spin that question. Yeah. You, you yeah. really have to look for, for the right fit for your, for the culture. Right. I mean, yep. it's a, yeah. It's almost impossible to to find the first shot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. At the same time, I think that our industry is more okay with uh, that kind of uh, career progression uh, than a lot of other ones are. Uh, you know, little side anecdote. You know, where I live in Wisconsin, you know, traditionally, you know, there are a lot more manufacturing jobs or or other kinds of jobs where people just kind of they get a job and twenty years later they're still there, and uh, you know. I, I was in that position where I was changing jobs every couple of years. And uh, one of my sons asked me, are you even good at your job if you're changing it all the time? <laughs> and I and I said, wow. no, because of the industry I'm in, you know, that just shows that I am good at my job if I keep getting hired. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's just so much demand that you keep, you know, going where the where the demand is. And yeah, and here in Wisconsin, I mean it's it's kind of a mess. Like I, I feel like I, I, I don't know what the right way to state this. This is going to sound kind of bad, but like, I almost feel like these smaller companies need to like feel the pain and get sort of get punished a little bit because they, they don't understand that value because they are looking at, um, um, I don't know. I just think that the way that they're, they're looking at things is, is wrong. Now I know that they have a certain amount of money and, um, you know, they, they have, uh, constraints on their end, but, um, you know, they, they need to understand the value of this. I mean, I, you know, I, I always think back when I was working at, uh, I worked at office max and I worked in the cop, the, the copy department and I would do, uh, some of the work that I did, which was actually the, the highest paid, um, work there or the, the thing we charged the most for was like graphic design. And I still remember I had people come up to me. I would be on the computer doing our, uh, literally our most valuable work and the most profitable work for the company. People would walk up to me like, Oh good. You're not busy. <laughs> that, you know, like that really stuck with me, like the low value that people, that some people put on, on this type of work. Um, but, but yeah. 
if I may add one thing, because from my point of view, from from the place I am in the industry, mm-hmm. you know, the DevOps, cloud native, Kubernetes, uh, I can I can tell you that recruiters are at war because there's such a shortage of, of yeah, talent that exactly. it's insane. And I see this trend of many people going freelance, so not binding themselves to a single company and just jumping over jobs because there's such a demand that they, they can do that. And so it this has also an impact on the way we think about work. Uh, so, so many more um, independent freelancers. So there's no, uh, there's less loyalty to a single employer, but it's more a loyalty to yourself, to your own skills, to your mm-hmm. own uh, growth. It's it's changing. So it's an interesting. This is the most interesting times to be alive for sure, but also to be in this particular sector of technology uh, because it is growing so fast and there's so much opportunity. So uh, most of, most of the people I know from the community I am involved with, they are freelancers or mm-hmm. they, they they change project every six months or a year. So so it's becoming the norm almost. Yeah, there. Speaking of uh, speaking of freelancers, there was a there was a tweet by this guy. He just got destroyed on Twitter. Um, it was a company that was seeking a full time freelance position, um, <laughs> and he got ripped apart because they're just like this is disgraceful because it was essentially a way, or at least it was perceived as a way um, for for them to like hire somebody without having to pay any benefits. Um, and, and he got, he got ripped apart. And then like the next day he's like, Oh no, I think you all misunderstood. This comes with benefits. And I, you know, I don't know exactly when went down there, but that was definitely not the impression the day before. So I think, uh, I think people, um, got them to, to basically switch their, their posting. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's indicative of the fact that the law and society still has to catch up and we don't want to throw away decades of, Right or worker rights, right? I mean, if I get sick, even if I'm a, I'm a freelancer, I need to be protected. And I, I, I sit in Europe, so maybe it's a, it's a very <laughs> I was particular... going to say that's not that's not fair. <laughs> I know, but that, that's how it works over here. So yep. uh, it's just that this goes so fast, and um, to, the economy is growing so fast, and the society has to catch up. So yeah. that I hope I hope it, it's uh, it's gonna go well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our vacation in the U.S. is terrible. I always tell people I, so I've been at Microsoft for I think about six years, and I get three weeks of vacation. <laughs> so one more year, and I will finally accrue at a faster rate so that I get four weeks a year. But this is the least amount of vacation I've actually ever had in my uh, in my career. But uh, it's just one of those things that like bigger companies use to you know lock people in. You you basically have to earn that vacation time through through tenure. So. I'm not gonna tell you how many I know, days we have in the I Netherlands know. because is it is it is I assume it's at least double, maybe more. Is it more? If it's more, uh, it's... around 25 days a year. Okay, okay. So yeah, so almost but, uh, double. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh man, that, see that that would feel like infinity to me. I mean, three weeks <laughs> is just is just with, having kids and family and all that is just way too tight. Yeah, it's not enough. Yeah. I don't think nobody, I don't think anybody used them in full. I mean, it's, <laughs> you're going to be away from your job for two months. It's, it's insane. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I'm not going to, I don't use them. So, well, the difference between 25 days and 15 days is like, is, is, like I said, is, is infinite. <laughs> every, <laughs> every day at that point is, is uh, past 15 is precious. So. Anyway, so let's move on and uh, talk talk about some of the topics that we wanted to focus on today. 
So I think where we should probably start is on the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. I know we had that in your intro and you mentioned that you're an ambassador for that foundation. Um, and I had actually never, and maybe I'm just living under a rock, but I had never heard of this Cloud Native Computing Foundation, but it looks like it's huge. So what the heck is it? Well, it's it's rather new in uh, okay. in, uh, in years, so it's only uh, about three years old. So the Cloud Native, Cloud Native Computing Foundation is really a daughter foundation of the Linux Foundation. So it's sort of a spin-off, but depends on the Linux Foundation for for many uh, many things like uh, event organization and uh, and funding. Uh, Microsoft and other big players in the cloud in the cloud native space are um, members of the foundation along with uh, lots of uh, end users think of Uber Airbnb everybody that use cloud native soft cloud native um, software from 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 the cloud native foundation so the cloud native foundation is also also acts as a governance um, um, center for many projects. So there are projects adopted by the Cloud Native Foundation or donated to the Cloud Native Foundation. Uh, the very first one was Kubernetes, and that kind of sparked the 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 whole idea of having a foundation managing open source software in the Cloud Native space. Uh, so Kubernetes was donated by Google to a community, so published on GitHub, and immediately. Uh, people from the community realize the important uh, importance of this, and uh, they spin off the Cloud Native Foundation to manage it. And soon after, uh, projects like Prometheus and uh, Container D and a bunch more—I don't—I th- don't know the number—but there are five projects uh, that are graduated, so deemed stable and uh, and uh, usable. To in production by by the foundation members themselves, and a lot more in the incubation phase. So um, have a look cncf.io. Um, it is huge, and uh, among their tasks is to, of course organize KubeCon and Cloud Native Con. It's a three times a year event. It's one of the largest tech conference, the independent tech conference today. Uh, last one was in Seattle with more than eight thousand people. Attending and 2,000 waiting list, and uh, the next one is in May in Barcelona. We expect also around eight, nine thousand people. So it's a pretty, in, it's taking over the the world of cloud native computing, cloud native application development, uh, and it's like the the reference for uh, for how to run an open source project properly with a with a fair and and um, an approachable community so we we suggest we tell everybody if you have an open source project and you struggle with the with the with the governance with the management um, approach the foundation and try to to get it into the foundation because they will give you the support they will give you the experience and the expertise of running open source project at large and the scale so is that the largest benefit that a project receives uh, from the Cloud Native Computing Foundation is that the governments and and the and the ex- and the experience on running these projects, or are there uh, additional benefits that projects receive as well? Also, marketing, of course. So when you are part of the Cloud Native Foundation umbrella, then then you get uh, promoted uh, at the conferences, of course, and it's a, it's a recognition of. Uh, the importance of an open source prog- project or, or software for the cloud native landscape. So we tend to uh, adopt projects that have some meaning in building a cloud native application. So think of uh, logging like FluentD 
or um, cloud management software or uh, container runtimes like container D, storage subsystems like Rook. And almost all of them, of course, integrates or interacts with Kubernetes, but that's just because Kubernetes is the de facto orchestrator, but there are other projects, like think of, for example, this TUF, which is a container registry um, scanning. Uh, we have almost, uh, we, we cover large part of the uh, of the tools that you need to, to be able to deploy and, and manage and, and write uh, cloud native applications. So um, all the major cloud providers are part of the CNCF and they donate uh, infrastructure for testing, for example. Google has been very generous in that. Uh, and of course, other big players, they donate uh, sheer engineering time to the project. So, um, so it's a, and the TOC, so the, the, the most, imp- one of the most important parts is that we have a technical oversight committee, um, with very big names in there. I mean, uh, people that have the respect and the consideration of the community and they overs- oversee the, um, the, 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 how well a project is run. Um, it's, uh, and it's big. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, uh, but there are uh, many, um, the many projects in there and the, and the community is growing uh, by the day. So we have about 50,000 contributors to the CNCF project right now. So also helps, uh, for example, because I run a local meetup in my own town. So also helps the local communities, um, helps with uh, literally like paying for the pizza, paying for the, for the venue, but also organizing more local events. Um, like the one I'm organizing, I'm gonna talk. I hope I can talk about it about it later. Okay. Raygun provides full stack error, crash, and performance monitoring for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy, or you're just concerned you're losing customers to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. Get full stack error and performance monitoring in one place. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to raygun.com. Get up and running within minutes. Dramatically improve the online experience of your users. I wanted to talk a little bit more about this graduated and incubating. Um, you mentioned that there's five projects that are that are graduated, and um, I know it sounds like there's like a gating process to get it in there. So what does it mean if a project is incubating, and then how does it become graduated? So it's matter of a vote. So there are um, uh, criteria to to move a project from incubated to graduation, um, and there is a there is a vote. So the binding votes are the ones from the technical oversight committee. But everybody can chip in and uh, give give his or her opinion. Uh, but the, mostly it's a voting process uh, done by the technical the, by the TOC. So it's about maturity of the of the project and um, how uh, the adoption by the community. So if you look at the five projects of so Kubernetes, Prometheus, Envoy, CoreDNS, and CoreTinerD, these are really the foundation of a lot more projects. If you think Envoy is the basis of almost every service mesh out there, and CoreDNS is part now of Kubernetes, and uh, CoreTinerD is the probably the, the next big thing in uh, in uh, container runtimes. These are really 
the the foundational project for every um, cloud infrastructure uh cloud native infrastructure so okay so i so, see like fluent d under incubating which i know is a great project um should i be worried about using that then because it's an incubating or like what does that mean to me oh not at all it's just that um it didn't reach that stage of uh community adoption or uh, or maturity that is, that is not being proposed yet to be graduated but I would say if you look at, for example, ATCD is there, right? So ATCD is used worldwide by millions and uh, it's a very stable software. That's not the point. It's not because it's incubating. It's not stable. It's just that ATCD was donated in December to the to the foundation. So it still has to uh, settle in and, uh, and, and establish some basic uh, usage guidelines so it's a it's a matter of time and uh, probably uh, more of this project will be will be promoted but uh, kubernetes was only graduated uh, i think last summer so it's not about that it's oh, about, okay. uh, yeah so for, for a couple of years there were no graduated projects so it's just a matter of uh, of time okay. it's also the the curve of the adoption right so now we are uh, we're still in the early phases for most of the incubator project. Like uh, tracing, for example, is a great, uh, great concept. It's been adopted uh, more and more, but it's still sort of an arcane skill for many. So we just have to be um, to be careful not to push them up too too early, right? So, so I, looking at this from the perspective of a developer who's choosing. V- you know, technologies for a project yet. Does the Cloud uh, Native Computing Foundation give any guidance, you know, with these projects? Or are there other things that uh, individual developers could look at this foundation for? So the idea, I think that this was a, there was a first attempt a few, some time ago, but um, to have a cloud native reference architecture, right? So, so if you look at the landscape, if you go to landscape.cncf.io, you will see all this project. Not all of them are part of the uh, cloud native foundation, but they are um, projects that inherently have something to do with cloud native, right? So you can pick and choose your own. there is a there is an effort from the CNCF to kind of uh, crystallize some some reference architecture out of this project into a coherent picture of um, of a uh, reference cloud native infrastructure. But again, it's also about the choice, right? So I don't think we we are in the business of uh, imposing anything, but uh, suggesting good use. And uh, you you understand also is a this the foundation has a lot of. Uh, um, vendors so with a lot of uh, commercial interest we would like to stay out of the game of uh, uh, being involved too main too much into any 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 single vendor so just giving um, guidance is is just uh, what we what i think the cncf should do but there's yeah, many but, yeah tell me. yeah this landscape page is really cool i just want to pause on here while we're still talking about that because this is really showing like what what are kind of like the breadth of my choices? And there's like some filters on the side side, like you'd see like if you were picking like parts for a computer, like you know what's important to me, like uh, the relation to the CNCF, what kind of license they have, is there a certain backing organization that I like, uh, maybe where their headquarters. Uh, like there's like a lot of really cool filters here to like help me make a more informed decision and see what 
different options there are for various different things, whether it's uh, picking a cloud or provisioning technology or an orchestration or maybe just, you know, individual, you know, you know, you know, uh, projects that work with on the application layers, uh, yeah. database layers. I mean, so on. I mean, like this is just really kind of gives me a breath. And for some of these, the the options are. I, I've definitely heard of them all, but I don't always remember them when it when it's time for me to sit there and like, what do I pick for my project? Yeah, and it is not religiously limited to open source project. There is plenty of closed source closed source software that have lots of value in building a cloud native applications. So they are also included in in, in the picture. It's up to you if you want to use them or not, but um, they are definitely there. And, yeah, if you uh, leave ev- like everything to any, uh, it's showing six hundred and fifty-three different options. So I'd say this is pretty pretty open and full of breadth. This page is super cool, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. And if you think about it, this is uh, represent billions and billions in uh, in market cap. But also imagine how ma- how many lines of code are in there, right? So and this collective effort of lots of communities uh, that through the year they, they work together and they come up with amazing open source or closed source software and that. so today is really we are at a tipping point we, you can pick and choose uh, your uh, your tools and uh, go on and build your, your stuff um, yeah I mean you could you can filter by like how many GitHub stars there are on there um, by country like if you're building a solution for China and that's going to limit you I mean this is just really it is. It is one. <laughs> I, I think it should be like the page you go to, like at the beginning of any project, just to like ground yourself. Yeah, I haven't heard of a lot of these, and like I, I, I'm really excited. Like I want to check out a whole bunch of them. <laughs> Why well, if you have months or years to check them out? Uh, all that. Uh... Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like this is. Oh, it's just so exciting. <laughs> but that, that's why reference architecture helps because too much choice is also blocking, right? It's also uh, immobilizing choice. It's too, it's too much. And then you want to have like a limited choice, but proven technology. So so I also see like on like the main website for the Cloud Native Computing Foundation that there's like a certification tab. What kind of certification happens through the foundation? Yeah, so there are two main certifications. So there was a, a recognized need for um, for uh, certification in Kubernetes for sure. So to have a stamp of approval of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation to recognize Kubernetes expertise. And about um, a year and a half ago, they introduced the first exam, which is the Cloud uh, Certified Kubernetes Administrator. Uh, these are uh, uh, interactive exams uh, they are not that expensive so many uh, I've, the number of certified kubernetes administrator and the other one is certified kubernetes ad- application developer which is more focused on the using kubernetes instead of managing kubernetes uh, the numbers are growing they are uh, very popular and uh, they are quite are to pass actually because they are interactive so there's no multiple choice you are put in front of a terminal and you got your tools you got your kubectl you got your everything that you need to fix or uh, answer the questions and it's more of a um, interactive exam so i i enjoyed did my my two certification and i i suggest everybody to look into that because it's uh it's a valuable, a valuable skill, very marketable in the market, in the skills market, in the job 
job market. So, and many companies are um, so there's a um, certificate. There's a certification for uh, for service provider. So, um, if you have um, if you are a partner of the CNCF or you have uh, your business built around Kubernetes and you have enough certified engineers on payroll you can become a certified kubernetes service provider so um, it's a very valuable uh, valuable recognition of the of your um, as a company uh, your your uh, seriousness about kubernetes and cloud native yeah and you mentioned earlier like google gives some like testing time for for some of these frameworks like what other companies are involved is uh, i i assume microsoft does something similar and is is what and, and it, are there any small companies that that help out with that kind of thing as well, or is it mostly big companies? So historically, this all comes from Google because they donated Kubernetes to to the community to the CNCF, and uh, along they also donated the the testing infrastructure. Uh, recently, they instead of running. They instead of them running the infrastructure, they donated uh, literally um, uh, computing power to and and to. It cost money. I, I'm, I don't have the figure in mind, but it's probably in the order of millions of dollars every year. Uh, Microsoft does this part, also of course. Like uh, we we are part of the community, and everybody is is welcome to to join. So we. Kubernetes community works by the ways of uh, special interest groups, SIGs, so to call, so 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 they're called, um, and they main there are many SIGs and everyone. It's kind of a micro community around a particular uh, piece of Kubernetes. So there's a SIG for network, SIG for uh, cluster lifecycle, and so on and so forth. So every engineer, of course, there are uh, companies that are more interested in one or the other one or more parts of this uh, but every company donates um, their time and their effort to to make Kubernetes always a better uh, piece of software and it's working very well of course it's uh, Kubernetes is the second largest open source project on GitHub second to only to the Linux kernel who had a 20 years at start of course um, so Kubernetes is becoming what is becoming because it's an open community and uh, accept contribution from from everybody really mm-hmm. so I can talk about Kubernetes all day long so I don't know if it's two <laughs> hours but then. <laughs> So you, uh, your role is ambassador, as I mentioned in the intro. So what does that mean? So we, that's what I'm doing today, right? So yeah. it, uh, um, I got very excited about talking about the Cloud Native <laughs> Foundation because I really believe in, in the power of, of communities and open source community in particular. So we, I, I've become an ambassador because of my work with the local communities and, uh, uh, being a uh, uh, defender of the, of the ideas behind the, the, the Cloud Native Foundation and uh, organizing meetups. Uh, I'm not much of a coder, so I'm, um, unfortunately I'm not yet a contributor to Kubernetes, but uh, I compensate by donating my time and by my enthusiasm to the local communities. And uh, and just be nice, answering question on on Slack, answering question on Stack Overflow about Kubernetes. So it's all it's all part of the um, of being part of a community. It's, uh, everybody can contribute. Everybody sh- should contribute as much as they like uh, or they feel like, and uh, and just receive in, in exchange uh, acceptance and uh, and help. So it's a um, it's pretty cool uh, cool title to be, and uh, yeah. I try to I try to keep up the expectation. 
Yeah, I see that you're the uh, first person listed on the ambassadors page. Oh, it's uh, by <laughs> alphabetically. So. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm just lucky for my... It's difficult to pronounce, but at least it's always the first name to be listed. Yeah. Yes. So so what is your take? I mean, there's... there's you know, it's kind of overwhelming. I was looking at that page. There's so many different technologies and and even within, you know, like the, the Microsoft landscape. I mean, we have like Service Fabric, Service Fabric Mesh. You can use Kubernetes. You can use it hosted in AKS. Um, how how should somebody sort of make sense of, of all that landscape today? So it's really... It's really a personal journey, right? So every organization should analyze their needs. And my advice when I talk to customers is always to the KISS principle, right? Keep it simple. Don't adopt technology for the sake of technology. I, I know I have to uh, limit myself because I, if it was for me, I would just play around with all this project at the same time. But you really have to focus on the end goal, which is to deploy scalable, resilient um, application in the cloud. So don't just go and uh, and choose any technology. But um, my criteria to choose a technology is also uh, for me, a, a big part uh, is played by the community behind it. So I tend not to not to adopt myself or, or to suggest to my customer to adopt uh, small community project, right? Because there's always uh, it's always value of having big, strong communities uh, behind a project because you can always uh, rely on them for uh, for help and support and to and to sustain your journey. So. It's uh, it's difficult, but um, I tend to have to have preference for more nimble infrastructure than uh, than big complex uh, infrastructure. And yeah, that's uh, so. How do how do you help people overcome maybe some of their assumptions or pre- prejudices? Uh, I'll give you maybe a couple of exam- examples to help clarify that. But I, I work with different partners for Microsoft and they know that I work for Microsoft. So they'll come to me and like, I want to do microservices. Tell me about service fabric, or I want to do Kubernetes. And in the back of their head, you work for Microsoft. Tell me about AKS on Azure. You know, how, how do we get them to break those assumptions and think about the variety of options that they have? Interesting question. So it's, um, uh, I always use the open source angle because that's that's where I'm fr- where I come from and that's what I think there's a lot of value in there and uh, we show that every technology is always a, a means to an end so we really don't need to talk about the specific technology but more about the overarching goal that they are trying to achieve and in at the end of the day technology is one thing but culture process people. They are irreplaceable. So we find ourselves um, talking about a technology like Kubernetes or ServiceWay, but always as a part of a bigger story of how to change your your culture and your organization, right? So it's it, if we stick to the little details, it's always uh, missing the big picture. So for me, and I love Kubernetes, for me, it should be adopted by 100% of the customer. And that's that's the that's all, but um, for some organizations, that's just too early, or that just doesn't make any sense. So we try to be more fair and uh, overcome our own passion and enthusiasm to to be more on the side of the customer. Because the thing is, this thing is hard. Kubernetes, Service Fabric, they all complicated piece of software that even if if you use a managed service, 
it's better if you understand them, right? So there's a lot of um, lot of time and effort, and uh, in the end of the day, your customer are not gonna pay you because you adopt Kubernetes. They're gonna pay you for the value you you give it to give to the, give them. So try to keep balance between uh, technical complexity and, uh, and, um, and and keep an eye on the end goal of delivering values to customers. Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges today is just the the learning curve of all these things. I mean, we we've we've opened the floodgates by making it so that everything is containerized. I mean, I was looking at a lot of the projects that are part of this uh, foundation and you know, pretty much all of them I mean, maybe, maybe all of them are, I don't know, are, are, are just in Docker containers. <laughs> I just say, Hey, give me that thing. And then you're like, it's already running. Then you just have to configure it and, and do your thing. So, so we've like removed the barrier of entry of like getting this thing installed and configured and all that kind of good stuff. And now it's just this daunting task of like learning how to use each of them and the fact that there are so many options. So, um, yeah, yeah. many people, they just learn docker yesterday and yeah really time to, to learn <laughs> that's how i feel definitely. it's also redefining our own jobs right so or uh, jobs in the industry you have to constantly learn new things that's that's it that's uh it can't escape the fact that you you gotta retrain yourself every six months and i do it myself as well and the other consideration is that we are, I've seen this also in the OpenStack community I was part of a few years ago. Now the limiting factor is the people that understand this. So companies can adopt Kubernetes, that's easy, but to find people and engineers that understand really cloud-native uh, application development, that's the hardest part. So And they can't look at us as replacement for their own skills. And we, we are not in the business of providing, uh, you know... Uh, a replacement workforce for your engineers we you have to train or find or attract talent yourself and that's the hardest part that's why i'm saying that um, recruiters are at war now there's a there's a huge talent war everywhere everywhere in the world and there's a huge market for this certification like the ck and ckd from the cloud native foundation mm-hmm. um is there anything else that you wanted to mention that we haven't gone over anything else you wanted our listeners to to know about uh, let me just so I I organized the cloud native mm-hmm. meetup in Amsterdam. So if you are in Europe, uh, I'm gonna um, we are harder work to organize the first cloud native day Amsterdam in June. Uh, and big news, Kubecon is coming to Amsterdam in 2020. So Ooh, yeah, there it's you go. Uh, <laughs> I'm very happy about that. <laughs> it's um, easy for you to travel, uh, yeah. And Sure, if you have the chance and you want to attend Kubecon, there's still tickets for Kubecon Barcelona. It is one of the best conferences uh, you can you can go to. It's it's extremely technical. Lots of geeks around. It's very cool, and there's a lot of diversity as well. Uh, Cloud Native Foundation is a very uh, very strict um, approach to diversity and inclusion. So it's. Uh, Trust me, you you won't regret it. You should attend. Uh, Barcelona in May is just beautiful. So it's in May, you, know. you say. <laughs> when? What are the dates on that? Oh, it's, it's uh, May twenty. Of course, I twenty. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Microsoft it, is gonna run uh, a pre-day. So if you happen to go, make sure that you arrive at least a couple of days before because the the day before Kubecon. There are uh, plenty of workshops and uh, mini cons like Envoy Con and uh, Mesoscon, that kind of things. And one of the very, the most interesting 
thing you can attend is the new contributor summit, uh, which will guide you through the whole Kubernetes um, Git repository structure, how to choose the first patch, the first bug you want to address, and just guide you through the first uh, contribution to the project. And it's really, really interesting. You should just uh, you should try to to come and and join the fun with us it is so funny because i was talking to carl this is like such a coincidence i was talking to carl right before the episode saying hey spain would be an awesome place to visit (laughs) yeah so what what a what a good coincidence there so it's just it's it would be the the third week of travel for me is the is the issue. <laughs> so. There's also Shanghai in uh, July, I think, and uh, and then North America in December, and that's San Diego. It's gonna be huge. I think they were talking about twelve thousand people. Yeah, but San Diego is not in Spain. No, but <laughs> no, but it's also <laughs> in December. And... <laughs> no, I know, I know, but it's not in Spain. So, okay. Um, anything else you wanted to mention? That's pretty no, awesome. It was uh, was great to be on on the show. Yeah, it was my it's, it is my very first podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> consider yourself. <laughs> well, before lucky. you thank us, there is a game that we play on the show. <laughs> uh, so, Carl, why don't you give him the question? Yeah. So, what is worse, waiting in line for hours to ride a roller coaster, or getting on immediately only to have it break down while you're on it? Oh. I think uh, think within line. I have to do it with my kids a lot, but yes, it's uh, it's dreadful experience. Yeah, at least if it breaks down, you get to sit on it. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully shaded too. Yeah, yeah. The only thing is, if you have to pee or something, like you're stuck. Then, yeah. You know, I've always heard of that. Like, oh, these people are stuck on this roller coaster for eight hours. I'm like, yeah. There's the thing we're not talking about. <laughs> you can always leave from from the queue, but uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so uh, Alessandro, where can people find you? So I'm on Twitter. Uh, I have a funny Twitter handle, which is Bongo. It's a little <laughs> story around it. So there's a dictator of uh, Gabon, and it's called Bongo. And uh, when there was election in Gabon, there of course they were um, uh, they were not fair, and uh, so there are a lot of people tweet about me but i have nothing to do with the dictator of gabon so to be clear um <laughs> and of course on uh, on the cncf web- website and uh, and if you come by amsterdam let me know we organize meetups uh, almost uh, two, 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 two times a month almost so let me know and i'll uh, i'll slot you in and if you want to give a talk uh just get in touch with me Okay. Yeah, I'd love to hear from our our listeners that uh, that are in that area. So, definitely send us feedback. Uh, and Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer, and you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash techie. So, Alessandro, thank you so much for coming on here and talking to us about the uh, the Cloud Foundation and uh, Kubernetes and and all of this fun cloud and container stuff. Thank you. 